Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Does it say recording your end somewhere? It does, eh? Amazing. Great. I don't think I've ever recorded an episode of The Bra and the Brave on a Sunday, but I'm absolutely delighted to be spending my Sunday afternoon with none other than award-winning composer and producer, Kenny Ingalls. Well, thanks very much. Very, very kind of you to ask me to do it. It's lovely to have this opportunity to sit down with you. No, you're welcome. So... You know that way you're trying to think of like how to do an interest and get into it because there's like just so many questions about your life's work, I guess. But I discovered your page, Hearing With My Eyes, on Instagram the other day. Someone had posted it and I was like, oh, what's this? This is cool. And I was like, oh, amazing, beautiful photography, dead interest. And I was like, who's this? This is Kenny <laughs> Angles. And then you just do this kind of deep dive. You go down a rabbit hole and you get lost. And that is the visual pseudonym of you. Kenny yeah. Angles. and we'll get into that because I'm dead yeah. interested about okay. your, your kind of inspiration and stuff but if I can take you back for a second growing up mm-hmm. what were you experiencing around you that you think led you ultimately to pursue a career in creating music oh gosh I mean um it's it's quite weird because I, I I honestly never had I had like zero intentions of getting involved in music in fact um I suppose like loads of other kids when you're at school, you know, I think one of your parents wants you to um, play an instrument. It's normally something really awful, like a, you know, a flute or a clarinet, you know. Uh, And um, I remember the the last year of primary school, um, you had this um, option to play one or the other. And of course, at the time, boys didn't like playing the flute. You know, I think they they thought it was kind of girly. So I ended up with this clarinet, and I didn't really want to play the clarinet either. You know, but um, I did that, and and I sort of ended up uh, in first year at high school in the school band, right? Which was just—I mean, it was awful. <laughs> you know, it was like I suppose it's the same as someone that does sport that doesn't want to play in the football team ending up playing football. You know, it was just. It was uncomfortable. I had no interest in it. I was always trying to kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of dog out of it and and not go to after school band practice and all that. So at that point in time, I must say, I I, I had no interest at all in music. I had really like no, um, I certainly wasn't playing an instrument with joy. And um, (laughs) it's kind of, I mean, it is, there must be some aspect of it that's kind of defining for the rest of your life that, I mean, certainly for me, the kind of embarrassment of having to play um, play this um, instrument. I, w- I was almost more into um, sport. I was much more kind of, you know, that was my thing. And there was actually quite an interesting thing where the the head of the sports uh, department, the PE department, didn't go on with the head of the music department because, you know, the, the one took the other away from, like, sports practice or band practice kind of thing. Um so I was, I was constantly torn between the two, but one of them I just I was doing because I was kind of told to do it. One of them I wanted to do. So that kind of that kind of trundled on, um, and I mean I've got to be honest, I actually uh, pawned the clarinet. <laughs> I, pawned, I pawned the clarinet. My mum doesn't know about this actually, but um, oh, it's all coming out now. Um, I pawned the clarinet to buy 
bits for a bike. You know, I wanted to build a bike, so I, I sold it for like hundred quid or something. But these, so my, the music career was never going to happen. It was just, it was get away from this as soon as possible. What I do think happened, which was weird, was um, I think you hit that phase that kind of you, you know, like adolescent kid growing up in a small village, and um, a lot of my sort of friends started to do that thing where they you know they were hanging about on a friday night um drinking in the community center doorway you know they'd have the little half bottle between 10 people and they'd they stand this doorway and, and i'd kind of um I, I was i used to go out on a friday and saturday night just ride around the village at night i liked riding in the dark you know with the kind of orange lights on the streets and just this sort of atmosphere to it and I used to make these mixtapes and, you know, put them in on the Walkman and ride the bike round. Yes. And when I was doing that, I used to feel kind of like, I mean, now when I look back, it was it was almost like a soundtrack to a little film. Was, you know, it was the, the disconnection, taking away the ambient noise, replacing it with music, riding around, and everything you looked at became almost like a kind of, you know, scene from a film or oh. some section from a, a film. And I, I can remember feeling... Ah, it was weird. It was like a sort of, um, you know, almost like kind of otherworldly, like quite yeah. detached. And you would ride past these pals of yours that were all sitting boozing in the, you know, the doorway. Um, and I think that's really the first thing where I remember feeling like there was something else about music. There was something quite powerful about music when it was combined with, I suppose now you'd say combined with like something visual. So it, mm. to me, I wasn't interested in music by itself at all. But when I saw this connection or felt this connection, it sort of took on a completely different meaning to me. Um, interesting because like, you know, we all know the power of music, but to kind of almost like, acknowledge that at quite a young age and not just mm. be like oh I'm into music or I'm listening to what my pals are listening to or whatever that that for you you almost like recognize the feeling that it gave you when you had your headphones in and you were riding about and yeah. just everything around you you were kind of taking in it's it's interesting that at that age you were able to kind of like have that that feeling about music and the power of it yeah it is weird it, it's um I mean the thing is I can remember going backtracking a wee bit to the school band thing I remember the train of thought at the time was sitting in the school band I was like this is rubbish you know this is like you're playing like one instrument doing one thing and it's you know you're just sitting on a stage and you know somebody's next to you squeaking away in their clarinet it's just all really you know it's kind of like mundane you know but when you I think round about the same time actually the as riding the bike round I was quite obsessed with um, TV title music my 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 folks used to let me stay up late enough to see the the intro for like um, something stupid like Howard's Way or something or the, uh, the Equalizer, uh-huh. you know, like that really kind of uh, angular intro track for the Equalizer. and all these kind of like there's a crime going to happen, and it was all uh-huh. kind of anticipation ambiguity. I used to be quite obsessed by that that whole thing, and that was going on at the same time. So. I think there was a sort of pattern of just kind of feeling like there was something a bit deeper in, in music. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, still no, like still no absolute um, sense that, that it was something that I was wanting to do. There was, there was, it was just a, a feeling. It wasn't like yeah. that, or that you know that I'm going to go and do that as a career. Yeah, well, I guess um, if you're sitting with a clarinet, it's difficult to make the connection of how you know I'm here with a clarinet. How do you make that kind of music? How do you make that happen? That's like a yeah. world away. 
Yeah, no, yeah. When you, I mean, when you don't even turn up to practice, that world is so it's like Mars, you know. But the big changing point was um, quite a strange sequence of events, actually. Which was uh, I, I literally came out. Of, I, I, I did the kind of usual thing where I was a pretty good student up until about fourth year. In fact, I was a bit of a square up until about. I was a square. I was a square up until fourth year, and I, I studied, and I got like straight ones or whatever it was at the time. And then I just kind of went off the rails in fourth year. I sort of rebelled a bit, and um, as a result, I came out of um, high school with like straight ones standards, and then not not such great hires. I think I got an A for art. I like got an A for art, and everything else was just a disaster. I'm not even going to tell you how bad it was. But <laughs> I came out, and I was literally like. I don't know what I'm going to do. I had no, um, just no real path that I wanted to follow. I mean, I wanted to play, I think, professional basketball at the time, which was just, you know, I'm about half the size of the average player in America and, you know, 100th is good kind of thing. And and so all these kind of things had collapsed coming out of school. I was just basically in Paisley one day and I thought, I better try and get a job. You know, uh, my folks were saying, you need to do something, you need to get something and so I walked into a record shop and, and I just said, you know, have you got any jobs going? And the guy was like, yeah, we do actually, you know. So I got this job and um, basically the short version of that story is that um, there was a guy that worked in the, the record shop, a guy called John Gillis, who's actually still a good pal of mine now. And I got really friendly with him. Um, he was a bit older than me. You know, he was working in the shop and I was this kind of new kid and, and he was he was very kind to me and all that sort of stuff. And we got chatting about kind of hobbies and I said well, what do you do and he said oh I make music and I was like well, what do you mean you make music what, you're in a band he's like no 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 I'll make music you know, I like, I'll make my own music I'm like well how do you do that and he's like well I've got you know a synthesizer and I've got a mixing desk and and so he basically invited me up um, to see his little studio which was in a kitchen cupboard you know one of these old like south side tenement cupboards yes. kind of and, um, yes me in my cupboard right now <laughs> yeah two, two hours actually sitting in the cupboard he, he took me in and showed me this thing, and it was just like, I was like, what is, you know, it was like, it was literally like looking at alien technology. It was going to deal at the Starship Enterprise or something. Yeah, it was so weird. I mean, it was probably quite, when I look back now, it would have been, it would have been so sim- simple compared to like uh-huh. modern technology, but it was just like, and I said to him, so what, you know, how does it work? And, and he sat down and he played like, you know, four chords or something. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then, then he says, oh, I'm going to put a bass line under it. And I'm like, what do you mean put a, and he's like, well, you can do as many things as you want. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, you can do more than one instrument at the same time. And I was like, it was like a sort of, um, like a light bulb went on in my head. I was just like, oh, you can make whole things. And literally, I think it was two days later, I went um, I, I went and phoned the PS Princess Trust. And I was like, I want to start a studio. No way. Mm, I did this business thing for three months to apply for a grant. And they gave me like five grand at the end of it. I passed the thing and I got five grand. And then I went out and bought all this equipment that I didn't know how to work. But it's funny how that just grabbed you, you know, and the fact like, you know, you're saying, oh, I went into a record shop to ask for a job. Even that in itself seems like like a movie. You know, like I'm picturing this movie already of you on the bike with the (laughs) Walkman in through the streets. And then the next minute we're in a record shop. Like it all seems, but like you're, you're very much saying like, 
this just happened. Like, I, I genuinely didn't know what I was into, what I wanted to do. No, 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 no. But it's starting to sound, you know, like, like, like the perfect movie, well, it, for sure. It, it was definitely, there was, there was, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it was like me being led on a path, but it's difficult to kind of ignore that certain things happened. Mm. I mean, when I look back now, I think, would I do that now? Would I would I just suddenly decide I wanted to do something I had no experience of doing? Would I go and get a five, what was effectively a £5,000 loan at the age of like 18 uh, to start a business I knew nothing about? And, you know, it's, it seems bonkers, but that was basically how, that was the beginning of it. And what kind of music? I know, like I've, I've, I've read online that you're, you've said, you know, you're not, necessarily influenced by other people's music but what kind of music were you into at the time what were you listening to well uh, it was weird my, my uh, brother at the time was a journalist for the list magazine so well he was one of the the music reviewers you know they used mm-hmm. to have, i don't know if they still do that they had a kind of pool of reviewers uh and so he used to get sent all these weird like v- releases you know Got and you. There were, uh, quite a lot of them were on vinyl if i remember right so me being the sort of younger brother, I used to, you know, when he was out, I'd run into his room and take his records and tape them. Yeah. And, and so it was weird things like um, uh, you know, Susie and the Banshees and um, Frontline Assembly and, and then like something like John Carpenter's Escape from New York. It was all over the place. It was an absolute, yeah. you know, and then there was, you would also hear his music coming from his bedroom so like he would be playing things like Iron Maiden and and uh, Eurythmics well that's probably before the Iron Maiden phase but mm-hmm. Eurythmics and you know Poms and Twins or something like that. so it was just this big mishmash of of um, stuff I don't think I'd really registered any of it but at the time when I started doing the studio thing the, the whole Massive Attack thing was sort of coming around the corner you know it was, uh, it was certainly I remember I think when I was working in the, the record shop, Portishead's first album came out, and then there was there was like about fifty boxes of it, you know, CDs. It was so popular, it was like this is going to be huge, and that was when that whole Bristol sound thing was happening. So I would say that was kind of you know Portishead, tricky, massive attack, but mixed with all this, you know, choosing the Banshee, <laughs> Thompson fans, all that. Yeah, it's funny. It's like you don't realize probably what you're influenced by and, and that probably is true even today the things yeah. that you're absorbing through like osmosis the things that end up helping you to come to your kind of creative epiphanies if you like yeah no absolutely i know it's, it's weird i mean i kind of feel like it's um i mean if I, I go right back i would say i'm i i could see i'm influenced by some of those little tv themes uh, not uh, mu- not musically like melodically or anything like that but it's the feeling that comes from them. You know, it's like when you're a kid and um, the A-team comes on, right? You know, that 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 intro music and, and what you see on screen, it stirs up something in you as a kid. Maybe it's just me, but that's... No, no, totally, I get it. You know, or like Airwolf or something. Or, Aye, and that's the thing, like, you, if you were to watch something like that with the sound off... Oh, it would be rubbish. Aye, like ah, and that's the thing you don't almost like realize the power of music, especially in like film and TV, when you're so into the story and you're captivated with the story that you don't realize it's almost like manipulating you to invoke feelings that you you wouldn't otherwise have if there wasn't that sound behind it. Yeah, I quite often say actually um, when people talk about, I say you know if you want to understand the importance of music and and when it's used as a soundtrack, 
take your favourite, what's your favourite film and folk will say whatever. And I say, well, just imagine watching it and all you hear is dialogue. Imagine it's just dialogue on the storyline. You know, it, it loses a huge percentage of its of its kind of um, impact and, 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 you know, how memorable it is, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you know. Um, so there is something about a kind of, it's like a tapestry of all these things going all the way back. So that right from that record shot moment with the kind of Bristol thing all the way back to these TV themes and that's that's what's causing all this stuff I'm making now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank goodness for the clarinet, you know. You were in demand at the time from the, the music department to the PE department, but essentially music won. So I, I don't think I was in demand. I definitely wasn't in demand at the music department. I was that bad. I could have carried cases, I think, better than I could have played the clarinet. <laughs> the roadie. <laughs> so you're armed with this five grand and you're starting to kind of build your collection of equipment that's going to help you to create some beautiful sounds. Was there a plan of like, I'm going to make music for this, or I'm just going to make music because that seems like the thing I want to do? Oh, no, it was weird. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I can remember the, the lesson was I, I got this, I've got about five or six bits of equipment. It was really nothing. You couldn't get much for, for the money, but it was enough to get me going. And um, I sort of set it up. It was in this little single bedroom. It was de- desperately unprofessional, but it was all I had. And um, I set it up, and um, I, I remember kind of looking at it thinking, I don't know how any of this, I don't know how, you know, you, you never worked a mix and seen a mixing desk before. You don't know what it does. Yeah. And you had like a sampler and a synth. Oh, it was just, it was overwhelming. And I remember the, the lady that was my kind of, um, mentor for the PSYBT she phoned me up you know and she's like how are you getting on Kenny how's how's it going so far and I'm like yeah I just need like yeah fine I just need like a few months to to learn how to work all this stuff and she said look you've got you don't have three months you've got like three weeks before your loan repayment comes off Jeez. so I had to kind of um do a lot of like just figuring it out I don't I didn't I'm not one for reading manuals so I had to sort of sit and figure it out and um simultaneously I put an advert in that yellow paper thing the supermarket to to try and get customers in and I think the first customer was that he was quite an old man he was like I think he was nearly 80 and he came in and he wanted to record a showreel for his acting he was like an actor and he wanted to record voice you know for voiceovers but he wanted samples of things like sound effects and that was the first job so i had to do i had to kind of get into do oh you know i just need to do it it's always that you have to have that kind of can do yes i can do that and then figure it out later (laughs) it was pretty much that and and it just went slowly and so at the very beginning i wasn't really making much of my own music i was kind of um almost exclusively trying to learn what i was doing and um getting little clients and you know just very just a few i was charging seven quid an hour which was quite a lot of money back then but it was for yeah. me still is actually <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not <a> business, <laughs> but uh I, but i didn't I, I, the guy john from the shop we we were started working on stuff together that's when oh. that was really the first thing I think I can't remember how long it was, but basically there was a moment where we sent out, we, we built up to sending out demos, and there was t- it was tapes at the time. That sounds dreadful, but it was, it was cassette tapes. Listen, they're coming back in fashion, so don't worry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, thank goodness. Um, so we we demoed, we made a demo, and, and we recorded them onto these ten tapes, and we sent them out to ten labels on a Monday and uh, the following Monday we had three offers from three different labels in three different countries and it was just like it was a kind of weird uh, sort of whirlwind thing from there because 
uh, two of the two of the labels were offering us a singles deal, and one of them was offering an album deal. Oh my word! It was really unexpected, you know, because it's that way when you just you, you have the hopes and ambitions to do that, but you never think you'll get it. Uh, so we signed with this label. It was it was in Chicago, um, and they paid us quite a, quite a decent advance, which allowed us to it allowed me to stop doing the studio commercially. Basically, I'd only kind of really got it going. Mm-hmm. But we took the advance money and just worked on this album, and that's when that whole change happened. We toured and all that, and we played some big, you know, gigs and festivals, and um, it was really odd. You know, we, there was strange things happened. Like we got the first of our, we were on the, the CD that was shown in the first of our iTunes advert. You know, when iTunes first came out, it was our band that was on it. Um, that's mad, isn't it? It was mad. And were you just riding that wave? Are you the kind of person that is just, when those opportunities were coming up, you weren't really overthinking them? Or were you at that point going, oh, this is quite a big deal? I think think it was a mixture of excitement and just being quite scared about what was happening because it was was going so rapidly. And it's when you start to read about yourself and, and you start to see press talking about it. You know, I mean, we, we went and played, we played South by Southwest. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember what year it was, but it was a long time ago. And, and when we landed, we got picked up by this like SUV thing that was to take us to a hotel. And some somebody passed us the, the Austin Chronicle, which was like the main newspaper, and it was um, picks and sleepers. And the picks, it's like the top five bands you should see that are well-known and the top five that you should see that are not known. And the first band on the, the picks was like, it was David Byrne and then Mogwai. <laughs> And on the sleepers, it was someone else, and then us, you know. And it was just like, oh man, this is, you know, this is serious. <laughs> so it, it was really odd. There was a lot of odd things, um, you know, getting asked to DJ on Radio One. We'd never DJed before, which <laughs> was <just> kind of hilarious. <laughs> You're like, yes, we can do that. Right, let's figure that one out. <laughs> Add that to the, the list of things that you need to learn really quickly. So it was just, it was kind of a bit mad, but it was sort of um, pretty abrupt. You know, um, and that's the precursor to ending up in the whole TV sort of situation. TV and film came about sort of off that wave as well. You know, so yeah, because I mean, their list of credits are just insane in terms of TV and film. Yeah, I'm quite old though. Oh <laughs> yeah, know, I'm. I'm like, I'm. Um, I'm old enough now. I'm. I'm. Uh, well, I suppose it's, this is my twenty seventh year now doing this. You know, wowzers. Um, so, yeah, I think that some of the credits are good, but I mean, a lot of them are quite old now. You know, it's that I, I, I'm even having that situation now where um, someone says to me, "Oh, you know, tell me something you've done," and I'll say, "Well, um, oh, crime scene investigation," and, and they're kind of going, "What? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Never heard of it." That was just like a few years ago. That totally takes me back to a time in my life. That's so funny because so I went to America to. Uh, Talking about basketball, so I used to be a professional cheerleader for a basketball team. Oh, well. We went to two conventions, one in Miami and one in LA, and that just CSI takes me back to that moment because we were in the hotel room and we were all practising because we had this big showcase the next day. And one of the lasties in the squad was like, can you just all shut up because I need to watch CSI? (laughs) And as soon as we heard the theme tune or or the music in the background, we were like, right, we need to be quiet because she was actually obsessed. So that's so funny when you mention it, just like zooms. But I think that's the power of music. It's that nostalgia. Like, it has the power to make you feel something, but also it's the nostalgia factor. Like, it can just take you to a time and a place. Yeah. No, that's what I like about music, actually. I, I like how... 
um, moments in your life, you know, good and bad are, de- are tend to be defined by. I mean, I don't. I actually don't listen to a lot. I really don't listen to a lot of music. But there are. I, I do go through phases where I hear something or I listen to it quite intensively for like a week, and then I never listen to it again, kind of thing. And a lot of the time, I can think back to specific, either albums or you know something that I was listening to, and and it, and it very much is just of that moment. You know, it's and so I suppose it does apply. It's like thinking back to your teens or like you say, like a TV show or, or, or whatever was going on at the time, you know. It is powerful. It's very powerful. So you're saying like that you made that transition into TV and film and did that then bring up a whole different kind of type of creativity or like your yeah. creative process? Yeah, that was just like I, I've, I crashed into that world, you know, completely. I was completely blindsided by it because... Um, one of the first things that did was on a TV show called uh, Six Feet Under that was on HBO. In fact, it was the very first episode of Six Feet Under. There's quite an important scene in it, actually, and, and it sort of... I, I had, it was, Again, I had no idea how big it was. It was just like, oh, that sounds quite good. You know, a bit of your music's been used in Six Feet Under. Oh, that sounds all right. Yeah, that's fine. They can use it, you know. Um, And then it sort of just went from there. It was like... Other stuff got picked up, but then people started asking you to write things, and I'd never written to picture before. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that, like, what is that that process like? Do you write something and then just hope that somebody picks it up, or is it a bit of both? It's a combination because, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the, there's a thing called sort of like you know sync licensing where they they place tracks and things. So it's like if they're doing an advert and they want a specifically, you know, they want a Rolling Stones track. That's a, a track that's been licensed, it's synchronised for that specific purpose. But bespoke stuff, especially score writing to picture is, I mean, I, I still find it difficult. You know, there's still moments where I think, oh, how am I going to do this, you know? But um, there was kind of a moment where I had a few bits of music that were getting used in various programmes. And then what happened was I got asked to do an advert and it was for, it was like that, you know that big building in Dubai, the Burj, the Burj, the big, the one that looks like a sail or whatever it is. Hi. And they were promoting it; it had just been built. And I got this job to do an advert for it, and they sent the visual through. And I was like, "How did I do this?" <laughs> and it was the most ridiculous, unprofessional thing. I had to basically sit with my main system that I write on, and I had to put I put a laptop on my knee. And I basically played the the visual on my laptop whilst I was putting my hands over the laptop screen to play to, uh, to play the idea. I mean, it was terrible. I probably shouldn't tell. I'll never work again if folks find out about that. But, but um, whatever your process is, I guess there's no right or wrong way of doing it. Whatever, no, you know, it's only no, arrive no. at the final product and, and everybody's happy. Then you're like, no, that's, that's true. I made it. That's very true. And and at the end of the day, every single one of these things was actually, uh, I mean. It's it's such a great learning curve to be kind of faced with something you find difficult. You know, it, it's like I always think it's the, it's the same as anything else in life. It's like vulnerability actually leads you into a far better place in terms of where you are in your life. You know, you have to be willing to be um, intimidated by something and take it on. Uh, and if you play safe, you just don't get anywhere. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying I've not mucked up. You know the odd job. I've definitely done that, but um, that was me learning how to write to picture, and 
you know the further down the line you get when you're doing more score based stuff that's the that's the um, skill that you bring forward kind of thing you know so so do you have specific things that you need in place to get started on a project whether it's been a you know a brief that's been sent to you whether you've got your kind of stimuli there or whether you're just dreaming up something for the sake of dreaming it up yeah i mean it, it depends on a number thing every, every job is quite different so um for instance you might get um a brief which is pretty specific what they want but nine times out of ten the brief will will change completely in within 24 hours but it's it's a starting point sometimes a director might just ask for he'll maybe give you like um a palette you know that's sort of what oh, i like this these kind of sounds or you know oh, i don't know marimba you know it's never it's never marimba it's never marimba <laughs> i have had one chimes once which was i, I had a director asking me to do a whole soundtrack at wind, wind chimes which I don't really know if you play a wind chime. I think it's just, you know, random. Um, <laughs> just hitting two arms. Yeah, just hang out of the window. <laughs> so uh, sometimes someone comes with actual references, like you maybe get, oh, here's 20 tracks that I like. Um, and quite often somebody comes with a thing that they want and then you do a thing that's nothing like it and they go, oh, actually, I like that better. You know, it, so it's, mm. it, it just depends, really. It's There's no kind of, um, there's no specific... And I guess it's like trusting your gut with that kind of thing, you know, especially if they yeah. have come to you with a brief and you're like, do you know what? I'm just hearing something else. I'm just dreaming up something else. But I I genuinely believe in this and I think this is the right thing. It's like yeah. putting that forward in it going, here you go. Like, yeah, you mean, like it. Yeah, you have to also, you have to be very, you just have to be willing to not be, you can't be offended when they say, no, no, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that thing that you've been working on for the, all through the night for the past 24 hours, no, it's rubbish. You can't, take it personally you know it's quite nice like that because it's never the one process i mean i like those creative conversations i like those moments where we're passionate each other you know in terms of like choreography if i'm working with a a team and and, you know you've you've suggested something and somebody goes no and you're like so like we need to have more chat we need to have more you know like and it's just that figuring out but i actually prefer that more to like the finished product like i just like the figuring out of it yeah, I, I find it's interesting actually. Similarly, I like the I like the very initial part of it. I like um, there's I quite often see a pattern now where the first few weeks of a, a program or a project is very creative and really like you know you, you're almost sort of testing yourself, mm-hmm. but then the sort of final three months of it can be, you know, it's like it's other people going well, we've made this tune fit. Oh, we we chopped it in half and we stuck it on this other tune. I know the other tune's nothing to do with it and it's in a different key and a different tempo, but it works for us. And you're like, okay. <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sounds great. But can you add something to it? You know, it's just, I don't know. It, it's like, um, it, it's just when people start to put their tuppence worth in sometimes, it's you have to learn to go, right, this is just the way it goes. You can't stand there and go, no, I'm not having this. No, I, will. I mean it is your baby. It's something you've created, but you do yeah. let it go. Yeah, you do. To an extent, and just oh. trust that you know the process will work out eventually. Well, it's, it's also it's also what you're getting paid for is to yeah. to, to do what you're told ultimately. Mm. You know? But also, I think you have to trust. There's certain directors that really know what they want. I mean, I, I really respect. There's a few directors I really respect because they're so. Um, on the ball musically with what they want they're quite 
clear and concise. And there's other there's other people you can you can work with folk in adverts and stuff that just the kind of ideas are so broad you don't really know what you're doing. It's it's like a it's a bit like uh, you know driving across a field with a combine harvester compared to driving across with a tractor. You know it's just this slow process. You know covering all bases. So it's. It's weird like that, but I think you have to have the mindset just to sort of accept that it's not all fun and and showboating your own stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, it's like going back to that kind of moment. You were saying it was all taken off music-wise and your Mm -hmm. name's in the newspaper and you're getting picked up at the airport. And, you know, it's that kind of glamorous aspect of what people would think it would mean to be in the music industry. And you're like, no, 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 just decide where we're in a cupboard for hours on my own, try to figure it out. And, you know, quite often, one of the things, I've had a few people have said to me over the years, oh, you know, you were so lucky. And I'm like, no, I can assure you it was definitely not luck because, I mean, I I think it was about 10, about 10 years um, I spent at the start and I, I literally, I, I don't think I had a penny for about 10 years. You know, I was, I was there was nothing coming in from it. It was all a waiting game. You're like, this will pay off eventually. You have to just hold tight. You have to hold tight. Like I thought, I've got something that I know is valuable. I just have to keep going at it, and it would have been really, really easy. I could have given up, oh, um, you know, every single year of those ten years easily because it was so uncomfortable, you know. Which is why I don't really the kind of glamorous bit that happened to me was just like, you know, well, I'm 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 just a wee bit wary about this, you know. Yes. So it was quite good it happened that way around, you know. Yeah, and people just don't necessarily... It's like almost like the Instagram feeds, it's like a highlight reel, but you're not getting the full story of what has gone into someone's no, no. journey thus far, other creative journey thus far. And yeah, I think anybody that works in the creative industries will have a similar story in the sense oh, that yeah. Yeah. it's kind of like, almost like, I have to do this because I do love it as much as it pains me a lot of the time and it doesn't necessarily pay the bills and it's like there's a, there's a struggle there. But it's like, well, it's the gratitude of being able to do something... That's that you, right. Yeah, you do love and that you realise. Yeah. That oh, yeah. I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel lucky in the sense that I get to do um, something that I care about. You know, I, I don't think I was ever. I, I mean, I hated working in the record shop. I hated it. Um, really? Yeah. I just I, I don't like that thing where you know, I mean, it's people that would maybe be in their early you know early twenties who have got this huge power trip because they're in a position of you know like management or something and I just found that really kind of like oh and you do get it in the you get it in the music industry you get it in all industries obviously but I just thought you know I'm far better being my own uh, boss and answering to myself and I'm you know getting told to clean CDs with a, a J cloth every morning <laughs> and obviously you, you you've mentioned many of the projects that you've worked on have mm. there been particular standout projects for you whether that's just in the process or whether it's like what it's then led on to you know or just like the kind of um, almost like the accolades or any awards that you've won along the way to just go like that's like a career highlight um yeah i mean there's there's various ones of um um I've, i was really blessed to um uh work with susie wallace on the sunnyfield project one of my projects the longest project which is still technically alive it's not completely dead yet you know we just we wrote a lot of music that 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 found its way around the world organically i mean we we sunnyfell was the thing that i did after the first project that got signed and we just did it as a diy thing we just self-released it but it it went 
I mean, some of it got used in TV, some of it got used in CSI, some of it got used in, you know, other shows, and, and it created this kind of huge organic audience. Even still now, um, I mean, we started doing it in, oh, God, two, 2001, and I think the last thing we did must be five or six years ago, and it's still... Gosh. You know, I, I go on YouTube and it's got, like, however many hundred thousand plays, and there's still Amazing. people... It's just bonkers. I was always really pleased to work in um, any of the US TV shows because they're just, it's like a, a quite a magical world, that whole world. I worked with Sophie Barker from Zero Seven. She was a, a joy to work with as well. Very, very talented, um, super talented, extremely quick writer, just, you know, good work ethic, everything. And we, we, we got some really good, tracks done out of that little project um, the last one on the artist one I think Paul McClendon who's currently doing this band called Memes it's a sort of Glasgow band uh, him and his cousin Johnny um, he's he's a, a brilliant guy to work with I've known Paul for quite a while now and he's he's, he's one of those like he, he does exactly what you want you know if you need a bit of, music, a bit of guitar for a, a trailer or something like that he'll rattle it out We've collaborated and stuff, done band artist projects. He's he's he never lets you down, and he's sort of getting the recognition he deserves now, which is great. Mm. But it must be nice for you, like because you've been like you know you've got this extensive career, you've got this back catalogue that you're then every collaboration is going to bring something new to the plate. So it's never going to get boring yeah. along yeah. the journey. There's just going to be like lessons learned and things that crop up. You're like I never thought we could we would have arrived at that sound. Yeah, no, and 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 if you, it's the same anything else. You know, if someone if someone pushes you, then you get a far better. You know, you shouldn't collaborate with people that that don't have the same drive and ambition as yourself. And I think all of these, you know, the three people I mentioned have all kind of spurred me to be better at what I do. But simultaneously, I mean, you know, I, I've worked on the the, the uh, Matt Pinders, the director that did uh, Murder Case and Murder Trial, and that's been a um, that's probably been one of my most favourite uh, score projects because the interaction between him and me, most certainly his his direction to me uh, doing the composition has been it's been a big learning curve, but it's been great to do, you know. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing. It doesn't really matter what the actual job is that you're doing. That someone that's really driven and focused on their own, um, what they're doing, kind of demands the best from you. And in turn, that makes you in turn that makes you better, at, or it should make you better at what you do. You know. Yeah, I wonder is there a difference of telling a story musically, if it's a real story or if it's a fictitious story? Oh God! Uh, well, I mean, the joke is um, it's, it's not a joke, but it's, I suppose it's my own joke. You know that I did so much music that was crime drama, and then um, the most recent things I've been doing is real life crime. You know, so it's yeah, you know, and and it's. Not the same. It is the no, same music, yeah, but it's not the same. So I would imagine there's that sensitivity there. I mean, not that, to say that you're obviously fictitious stories don't have power. Like they're they're essentially yeah. telling stories that we we hear in real life a lot yeah. of the time. But especially with something like a documentary or something that's maybe closer to home, something you know, like a Scottish yeah documentary as well. Like I, do, I just wondered if there was that kind of like oh wow, like, there's a bit of responsibility here. Yeah, I think I think what you what one thing you notice as well is that in drama, 
the music's used to heighten the drama. So the music is, is deliberately used as a tool to emphasise the dramatic moments. But in a documentary, the music's quite often removed when there's a dramatic moment. But a lot of folk don't notice that. But if you watch any of these crime, a good crime documentary, they won't have, you know, some crescendo thing happening in a big string thing when they announce that someone's going to jail. It just doesn't happen. They take it all out and just let the narrative do it. So it's almost like two, you know, it's it's two opposites, although the actual tone of the music is probably quite similar, you know. Of course, yeah, I was speaking to another composer that I've worked with in theatre, Gary Cameron, and he was saying that as well. It's like almost those moments where you're like, it doesn't require sound, and that's the most powerful thing. Yeah, so, that's right. Because uh, we were talking, he was telling me about Foley and stuff, and like the creation of sound effects and different things that he does for theatre, and just he was talking about even like the power of like a low level like hum that people don't even realise is there. And again, it's like like you were saying earlier on, the minute you take that away, that's you realise like just the power that it, it has to enhance that yeah. story or to get a particular message across. Yeah, again, that's that. I think again, that's a sign. A, a good, good director won't be scared to take the music out. You know, where you do see some. TV programs where it's like, ooh, what what were they thinking? <laughs> it's like, you know, almost like a bit in bad taste at times, you know. So, you know, it's it's the confidence to. It's a bit the same as I, I quite often find it difficult to understand when you meet other uh, musicians or composers who jump around doing a million different styles of music, you know. And I always sort of think, well, what what are you trying to you know would you not rather have the one thing that you just that's you authentically you and this is this is how I do it and this is how I want to come across the same as a director will have their ability to depend upon their filmmaking skills the narrative that they've created the interviews that they're doing and all that they don't have to or well, better put in a big bit of music there to kind of support it you know it's that kind of confidence thing and the authenticity of of doing it that way that I think really matters so mm. I think there's a lot of parallels like that So I guess we can't do a podcast these days without mentioning 2020 I, I mention it because I realised that obviously last year you then were able to focus on a particular project that then I discovered on Instagram mm-hmm. which was your photography Yes. How cool! Well <laughs> I know it's I, it started, this thing started as a very um, it was supposed to be a kind of mindfulness exercise I mean the brief explanation is I used to sit in the studio for so long during the day um, and as you can see it's quite tech heavy um, and and you get a bit like I, I, I don't know how to explain it but you feel a bit kind of electrostatic when you come out at night you're sort of you're sitting around all these bits of equipment they're all buzzing and you come out in the fresh air, and what I used to do is I had a kind of half-hour walk home, so I thought to myself, I'm going to just start taking photographs, but limit myself to using my phone, you know, like, not use, a, I don't use a camera, I just use my mm-hmm. camera phone, right? Um, and I just started doing it as a kind of fun thing, and then a few people were like, oh, you know, you should do these as, like, do this as a proper thing, and do do these as prints, and, and I'm like, well, I'm just doing it for fun, you know, I'm just, uh, and it started to become a wee bit like it took up more of my sort of consciousness that I was, I was paying a bit more attention to what I was looking at as I was walking home. The, the hearing of my eyes thing is basically that it, it, it goes back to the ride in the bike round the village experience, which is um, my influence in music is actually 
fundamentally comes from the things I look at. You know, it's not, I, I don't sit and listen to music and go, that's that's good, I'm going to do something like that. Yeah. I see things and I feel, I can almost kind of feel what the sound, the music would be like behind that atmosphere or the atmosphere in the picture is the same as what I would feel if I was doing it musical. So I started this project, Hearing With My Eyes, and all the shots are supposed to basically be little, they're, they're kind of almost like stills from a film. That's the idea. Yeah, I totally get it. Absolutely yeah. get that connection. They're supposed to they're supposed to kind of give off the same atmosphere that the that you the feeling that you get from the music, if that makes sense. Um and so I just started doing it as a thing to it was kind of like an antidote to sitting fiddling about with equipment all day. I thought I'll keep it simple and I had these basic rules, which was um everything's got to be shot on the phone. Um, everything's comp- you're, you're shooting one-one ratio, so it's always in a square, i.e., like Instagram, which kind of makes you know composing a photograph a wee bit more tricky sometimes. Absolutely. Um, you're only allowed to use the native tools in the camera to edit it, so you're not allowed to use like Photoshop and filters and all that. You have to do it like just the basics. And um, the golden rule is you're not allowed to you, you don't go out looking for a picture, so you don't seek. Sure, it's only it can only be something that you've walked past or it's part of a journey or yeah. um you don't go hanging about the city centre looking for things to take pictures of. Yeah. And um I just started it and it it's just kind of going its own little pair of legs um that have gotten a wee bit longer over the last year or so. That's so cool. So you were able to do an exhibition or so? Yeah. Um I did this thing in uh, October which was great down at uh, Nichols. Um which is just down the far end of Dumbarton Road. Zoe and Hillary there, they they um, run this little space that's a kind of multi-purpose event space. And um, just took it on for like 10 days and I think hung about 50, 50 pictures up. And it was just, it was mental. It was like, I, th- I thought there'd be like nobody, I thought nobody will come in. Like, I'm going to be embarrassed about this, you know? It's nice that you did it, though. I think that's really, it's nice that you did that for yourself. I mean, like, obviously, initially, it was, like, a mindful thing for yourself to do. Yeah. And I think as creatives, it is a good idea to have, like, a passion project or something on the side that isn't your work. It could be related to, it's like this podcast. This is related to my work in the sense that I started to interview folk that I was working with. Yeah. But, you know, it's grown arms and legs, and it's totally now, it's it's a thing in itself. But it's just something I love to do. Yeah. Well, it is, I mean... I sort of feel in the back of my mind what I'd love to do is 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 I like how the photographs are doing what the music did, which is a kind of organically becoming something bigger than they were. Um, and I'm trying to focus a lot more. I've got a, I'm doing a couple of projects now for myself, which I've not done in about twenty years. I've not really sat down and written like an album, and I'm quite deep into one at the minute. I'm, that's what I'm working on at the minute here. Um, and the photography allows me to, I, I can sort of straddle between the two, you know, I, mm-hmm. like the people buy prints and, and if there was folk buying quite a lot of stuff for the exhibition and it's nice to, to make something out of it. Yeah. And I think, well, if I can find a balance between the two, it's really kind of ideal because it's two aspects to the, to me, they're both one and the same thing, you know, but one's a lot less work. <laughs> yes. You know, point and shoot. Yeah, pretty much. Which will be really nice for when I'm old. But you're right, like, you know, you're a multifaceted person. Like, you have many influences, you have many interests in your life. And 
many talents. Do you know what I mean? Like different talents that that can complement each other or be totally separate. And like to think like, yeah, I can take beautiful photographs that people actually want to buy as a print. Like who well, knew? Uh, yeah, I, I I find it very. I mean, it's a bit like the music. It's like when you read comments about the music on YouTube or someone sends you an email, you get a lot of emails, people saying that they've bought a, an album or something or they've heard the score on the TV. And, and I, I still find it really kind of a bit, I'm always get a bit embarrassed when I read it because I think, oh, you know, they're going to find out that it's like imposter syndrome, you know. And and I get it with the photographs now, you know, why would someone want to buy, you know, the the biggest ones I'm doing now are like a meet, 110 centimetres squared and people buy them and put them on the wall and you're like, you know, I just think, why would anybody want to do that? I mean, but they must be all right. Yes, they are. So, yeah. So get, getting there. The confidence is coming up very slowly. It's only taken 30 years. I know. This is the thing I'm learning the most on the podcast. It doesn't matter who I've spoken to, where they are in their career, how much success, you know, inverted commas have had, the experiences. Everybody's the same. Everybody has this idea yeah. that we're going to get found out one day, me included. Yeah. So it's very comforting. I mean, I'm ve- I'm really sorry you have imposter syndrome sometimes, no, but I'm delighted. It's <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's, it's definitely true in this day and age that the people that do the best that really deserve it actually are the ones that don't think the most of themselves. You know, it, there's there's a cult, there is a culture now where people, you know, what it's like you know you get folk wanting to be stars for for making a cup of tea in the morning. You know, it's that kind of mentality. And there's people that do. There's actually people that are really good, but they worry far too much about what folk think yeah. instead of just doing what they do and and believing in themselves. And it's the ones that. I mean, I do believe I I do firmly believe in what I do. Like in terms of the music, I, to myself, I'm like that that does it for me. Or the photographs that does it for me. I just have the problem when it's like other people. <laughs> when someone wants to hang a photograph on the wall, I'm like, oh wait a minute, are you sure? And when someone's talking about your music, it's like because it, it is very. You know, the other thing is it's very personal. It's like it's going back to that thing I said about vulnerability. That it's it's a bit like giving someone your diary and going here you go have a read. If if MD's got half a brain and listens to the music I've made and looks at the photographs I made, they, sh- they would be able to tell an awful lot about me, you know. Mm. And that's the vulnerability aspect of it. And and being vulnerable allows you to do something authentically. And I think that's generally the key to like I, I think getting anywhere in life. You know, you have to so you have to be absolutely one hundred percent true to to what you are, who and what you are. You know. And that's why I called this podcast The Bra and the Brave, because I really believe that of people that are put their, their, their stuff out into the world, themselves out into the world. Yeah. I believe that they are bra and brave for that very reason, because I understand that there's so much joy in the making of it. Yeah. But at one point, you do need to send your baby out into the world for comment. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you do. And you that do. is like such a special thing that people in the creative industries do, you know, yeah. and... and um, but it, like you were saying earlier on, it's an absolute joy to do something that you love to do, and you clearly are very passionate about it. Yeah, I just I I think uh, I'm 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 getting more settled into what I'm trying to what the really what the original you know the long term game was, which was to do projects that made me happy. You know, I think it's like I I really like that that thing that David Bowie said about never play to the gallery. You know, he had this this quote that he he said during an interview, never play to the gallery, and I. I I think I understand it more now than ever before. You know that if you're if you're creating anything, you know it doesn't matter if it's photography, music, art, whatever. If you're not doing it for yourself, it, you you got to ask the question why you're doing it. You know, I I find now making music much more 
kind of satisfying than I probably did right at the very beginning. And it's the same with the photographs, you know, you get this kind of, there's a quite a nice feeling from what the product has at the end, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, even like creating this podcast, whether one person listens to it or like a thousand, it's not about the end product, it's very much yeah. about this moment. Yeah. And the joy of having a conversation and getting into it with somebody and, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and hearing their story, like that is very much the passion that drives the podcast. The fact that it becomes a thing and folk listen to it still blows my tiny mind, do you know what I mean? But it's lovely yeah. and it is great that people support it, but essentially it is about that connection. Yeah, with, absolutely. With you, do you know what I mean, in yeah. this moment. And, um, and from a storytelling aspect, like I just really enjoy stories and I think how your work enhances the stories that have been told all around the world like you know it's such a joy to hear your music and realize that's enhanced the stories that have been told yeah that's great i like that yeah no it's nice i mean it is you know and it's nice like i say that's why i'm grateful for you getting me to talk about it because you don't there is a huge bit to the background that i think it's so rare to be able to explain a lot of it you know and and sometimes i think it makes maybe people enjoy the music a bit more or, or understand it better and and certainly the concept behind things like the photographs i think when people know the background to things it just opens up a kind of slightly different world on it you know the minute you started describing yourself like riding about your bike listening to those mixes yeah. i was like i'm there because we all have those moments from our our youth where something yeah. just grabbed us and it, and it meant something to us at the time do you still have those tapes i'm interested to know uh, I do. I actually still ride my bike around the city. I, I, I do go around the city at night and, and do pretty much the same thing. It's just I'm a bit bit bigger, a bit slower, a bit more slower, <laughs> uh, and the music's changed. But no, I still, uh, you know, I still, it feels exactly the same, like that, that disassociation where, you know, turn off the ambient noise, put on some music and put your headphones in. It's, mm. I just think it's a fantastic it's kind of magical. There's something quite childlike about it, you know. And to bring ideas back into the studio that you pick up when you see something, or you know, just um, stumble across. It could be something like walking down a lane with a streetlight, and you just you, you're listening to a certain bit of music, and it makes you feel a certain thing. Or seeing a car pass under the motorway. Very very simple things, but really kind of rich, uh, creative sort of um, starting points, you know. Love it. Love it. I'm going to take you on to what was formerly known as the thingamabobs, but we've now changed it to the hingamajigs. Right. And these are just a random list of questions that I've added to over the last two years that I like to pick a few for my guests to answer off the cusp. So you, you've not been prompted. It's okay. just very much what your answer would be today. Got you. Um, can you finish this sentence? I have always wanted to. I've always wanted to ride a motorbike, actually. Have you now? Aye, uh, uh, but I'm not allowed. I always wanted one as a kid, and um, I was I was told by um, uh, it was my mother told me she said don't ever, don't you ever yeah. get a motorcycle. You know, it kind of rings, and you can imagine it. You'd fall off because you were hearing that voice in your ear when you went round the corner the first time. You know, so I've just never done it. So yeah, that's that. Uh, this is a bit of a kind of classic desert island disc question, but um, if you were to host a dinner party. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you would be inclined I'd, to host I'd be dreadful. I'd burn everything. <laughs> I wouldn't have enough seats. I'd burn everything. <laughs> and the heating wouldn't work. So <laughs> You're not really selling it, Kenny. Come on. The, the party bit. It'd, it'd be a dinner of sorts. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be just snacks, a buffet, whatever. whatever. All right, okay. No, Kenny all right, style. All right. Uh, who, which three people would you invite and they can be dead or alive? 
Oh, that's that's a good question. Uh, Harrison Ford. Um, yeah, so I could ask him about Indiana Jones. Cool. Oh gosh, who else? Um, Burial, the guy that makes music, because he's, he's he seems like quite an interesting character. Um, and oh, Annie Lennox. Nice that, one. That'd be quite a weird dinner party. <laughs> that's good though. I like it. And um. Indiana Jones is that is that a favourite film? Is that why? You... Oh, it's the yeah, it's it, it's, it's the definition of how music makes you feel. You know that the 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 theme tune and the you know the, it always comes on when he's doing something heroic. Yes, but that, to me that's that is. There's one scene in in um, in Indiana Jones that pretty much defines what I like about music, and that's when he's swimming to go on the submarine and everyone's cheering him, and the tune comes on. It's it's just it's it's. The, the distillation of it, you know, fantastic. Love it. Oh, you're oh, the hanging my jigs. You've got this down. Favorite view. If we were talking about photography and taking photographs, what's your favorite view? Favorite. Oh, um, I like I like um, stuff that's decaying. Actually, I like old buildings that are, you know, things that are falling to bits and um, things that have kind of scars. You know, like buildings that have scars or. Um, you can see the kind of uh, history in them. I don't mean like, oh, that's an old building. I just yeah, mean, yeah. you know, but things. That, yeah, or, or, or broken bits of concrete and things that are all kind of, you know, like old, I'm trying to think like uh, out the south side, like um, the sort of uh, the old shopping centre and things right. like that, or, or the Anderson Centre, or just things that have a kind of feeling about them. Yeah, I'm not, I, I like landscapes, but I don't, I don't think they're, they're nice, but they're not particularly interesting, you know. <laughs> well, I think they. that's what was drawn to, to your page about your photography. You know, nice views are nice, but I like them in real life more than I would say I'd be drawn to an image. But very oh, much exactly that, that industrial, like, or just something that would maybe be classed as the mundane can be made to look beautiful. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what I try. I mean, a lot of the photographs I take, I try and, t- I try and make a point of taking... <laughs> You know, it's like certain things like abandoned shopping trolleys and doorways become incredibly interesting if you take pictures of them, if you look at them a certain way, you know, and folk just, everyone just walks past this stuff. Very You wouldn't remember when you last saw a shopping trolley sitting in the street. I would. I can remember every shopping trolley I've seen sitting in the street. Um, but to me, it's it's things things that have a there's a sense of something in them or there's something about to happen or something has just happened but um stuff like landscapes i'm like well yeah you know it's beautiful but there's a kind of limit to how beautiful a landscape can be they're all pretty beautiful mm-hmm. but um industrial and and urban decays it, oh it's a rich that's a rich area to point a camera yeah. at that's for sure and I yeah. guess it's the same as your music. It's like that storytelling, like something that's just a wee yeah, bit depressing. Wee bit <laughs> Dark, depressing, dull. <laughs> my buzzwords. Can you recall the best day ever? Oh, gosh. Um, well, i got to say at the minute, I mean, I, I'm having trouble at the minute because I've, I feel like every day is the best day ever at the minute. I, I'm having this really kind of... Um, like I quite look forward to waking up in the morning. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and all that, but I'm I'm really kind of in the moment at the minute, and I I like how every day is an opportunity to do something new, something fun, something exciting. So that makes it tricky to think back. But thinking back, oh, um, I think uh, probably the the you know going to 
going to America the first time to play that that album, to tour that album, I think because it was so kind of wow, you know. It's it's either that or the first time I heard my music on the TV. But it's a bit like you get used to it, so it fades away, you know, once you've heard it yeah. hundred mm. times on the TV. So maybe just the, the going to America thing to play music, I think that would be it. Although I'm dead chuffed that you're in that space where you're saying like you're like having the best day ever all the time right now. That's lovely to hear because I think you know, like you said, we are in a pandemic, and for some people, it has been you know really yeah. difficult. So it's yeah. nice to hear that you've been able to embrace. Well, your I think, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not detracting. I mean, it's obviously a dreadful situation. There's no, of course, some, some of really, course. really. But I, I, I sometimes think that, that, you know, it's situations like this that really get, it's a really an opportunity sometimes to stop and kind of go, wait a minute, you know, what is it, what is it that makes you happy and, and what do you enjoy doing and what is, what is life all about? Is life about going to the pub and going on holiday? Not really. You know, is it about creating things that you're proud of and just enjoying the moment? And, and I think that's, you know, I think that's a kind of wonderful thing actually that's come out of it. It's that the unexpected positivity that's come out of such a, a negative situation. Yeah. I'm just using it as as my time to. I've been doing this album, taking a lot of photographs. I've got a few other weird and wonderful projects on the go. So, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it was a a rubbish year, but in some ways, there was some good definitely came out of it. And the last question that I ask everyone in the podcast, so I switch up all the other ones, but I do ask everyone, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh, I don't know. That's that's quite difficult, actually. I do like dreek, actually. I think dreek's the one that you you tend to use it uh, without thinking about it. You know, you know how like you tend to adjust what you say if you're talking to. So, if I was talking to someone in America, I'd kind of sound a bit more posh. But but the word dreek, I would say the word dreek without thinking about it. Describe in one word your music, Drake. You see, <laughs> that's probably why. Describe your photographs in one word, Drake. Drake is a good one. Yeah. yeah. Listen, Kenny, I can't thank you enough. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk oh, to you. Oh, you're thank very you welcome. Much. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. And um, I'm excited to see more photography and to hear, obviously, some more of your wonderful, beautiful music. Yeah, stay tuned. I'll have plenty more coming. More, more Drake photos coming your way. <laughs> Oh dear, more depressing music. Kenny Ingalls, you are bro brave for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.